0: I've mentioned on a couple of occasions over the last couple of years that a habit I have uh, this time of year is to to read again uh, Charles Dickinson's book uh, A Christmas Carol. It's a it's a short uh, a short story, actually a long short story. It's only about 82 pages long. Uh, Dickens was 31 years old when he wrote it in 1843 and Uh, was a little outraged at some of the things that he was seeing in his culture. And I know many of you have read the book. Um, It it always touches my heart this time of year to read it. Uh, I also have enjoyed very much the screen adaptations. And every year my wife Ellen and I uh, watch as many of them as we can. And there is a recent one that uh, there's a piece of the dialogue that uh, captivates me a little bit. And and the funny thing about all the screen adaptations is that the book's only about 82 pages long, and so to make a movie out of an 82-page book, you've got to add some things to it, and so a lot of the dialogue that you find at the beginning of the movie is actually not in the book. But nonetheless, uh, I want to I want to read uh, part of a script. It's actually Scrooge in um, in the counting house with Bob Cratchit, and you remember the kinds of conversations that they have about the human spirit and so on and so forth. And Scrooge is standing at the window looking at all of the people on the roads in London, the street in London, passing each other, saying Merry Christmas in the spirit of the season. And as he looks out that window, he says, and I quote, Behold, one day of the year, they all grin and greet each other when every other day they walk by with their faces in their collars. You know, it makes me very sad to see all the lies that come as surely as the snow at this time of year. How many Merry Christmases are meant, and how many are lies, to pretend on one day of the year that the human beast is not the human beast. That it is possible we can all be transformed. But if it were so, if it were possible for so many mortals to look at the calendar, and transform from wolf to lamb, then why not every day? Instead of one day good, the rest bad, why not have everyone grinning at each other all year and have one day in the year when we're all beasts and we pass each other by? Why not turn it around? End of quote. So why not Christmas every day? World War I began in July of 1914. Five months later, on December 7th, uh, Pope Benedict Fifteenth suggested a temporary ceasefire for Christmas to all the, the warring nations and the national leaders of all those nations that were at war with each other refused. A couple of weeks later, on Christmas Eve, across the enemy lines... German and British troops began to sing Christmas carols across the battlefield to each other. The next morning, Christmas morning, some German soldiers climbed out of their trenches unarmed and started across the battlefield calling out in English, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to the British soldiers. The British soldiers climbed out of their trenches, exchanged cigarettes and food. There was even a friendly game of soccer that was played between the German soldiers and the British soldiers. This is documented. And although it was never repeated through the half, half decade of that war, it was never repeated because officers from both sides threatened disciplinary actions. But it was one day, it was one day in the world that was trying to kill each other. It was one day in a time of war In which the human beast was not the human beast. So why not Christmas every day? I would suggest that Christmas Day could and should be every day because of this text we find in Matthew chapter one. In it, Joseph finds out that before he and his fiancee Mary are officially married, that she is pregnant. And he knows without a shadow of a doubt that the child is not his. But the problem for Joseph is that he really loves Mary, profoundly loves her. And he's looking for a way to cancel the marriage without hurting Mary. And then one night, an angel comes to him in a dream and says, Joseph, don't don't be afraid. All of this that's happening around you right now, is part of God's bigger plan for the whole world. And then Matthew writes, chapter 1, verse 22, that all this took place to fulfill. What the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Here is the big idea that I, I would like for you to walk away and reflect and pray about and consider today and in the coming days. This is the big idea. Every day is Christmas because every day is God with us. Every day is Christmas because every day is God with us. We don't think of that name, Emmanuel, very often, do we? We, we use the name Jesus, which is the Hebrew For us, it's the English uh, rendition of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means God delivers, God saves, God rescues. But Emmanuel means that God is with us. It's not just that God is real, but that God is near to us. Do you remember one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples? Before his ascension to the right hand of God, he says, And surely, surely, surely I am with you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. I wonder how much of our day would be different if we took the name Emmanuel seriously. Let me mention three ways that Emmanuel makes an impact on our everyday life. Number one, we never, ever, ever suffer alone. You never suffer alone. Far too many of us still think that when we have a good day and everything's going right and there's no pain and there's no suffering and everything seems successful, it is because God is happy and He's happy with us. And when he's not happy, it's going to be a bad day or something bad is going to happen to us. But in reality, the world can be a tough place, as you know. The world is a fallen place. The world is an unpredictable place. And suffering is inevitable in the world. The world is thus. Thus have we made it. And many times in this world, people suffer in silence. They do. As we've said before, people go out of their way to expend a lot of money and a lot of energy to convince each other that we're doing okay. But many times people suffer in silence, and they suffer alone because they have no one in their life to suffer with them. I think there's something incredibly powerful in being in the presence of someone who gets your pain Someone who understands your pain and can empathize and sympathize with your suffering and your grief. One of the earliest things that human beings are told about the Messiah, hundreds of years before Jesus comes, is this. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering. Familiar with, with pain. I mean, these are not ideas that you typically associate with God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. That familiar with pain. A man of suffering. Despised, rejected. One of the things that I want you, as your minister, I, I never want you to forget this. Because it's so easy to do in the throes of it. God, understands your pain. He's familiar with your pain. As a man has suffered your pain. We don't always get reasons for our suffering, and much of the time, the reasons that we do get do not help with the suffering and with the pain. But because God understands our pain, He gives us what we need, and that is peace and strength. We never suffer alone. God is with us. Number two, you are never, ever, ever abandoned. What happens when when someone is abandoned? It's, It's more than they're just being left on their own. To be abandoned means that you're being left without resources. When you're abandoned, there is no one paying attention to you or looking after you. This is why it's so debilitating. It's like being on an emotional desert where you feel undesired and at times even discarded. You know, one of the funny things about our culture right now is we have a different kind of a name for it. We try to make it a little bit more uh, simple sounding and maybe not quite as, as sinister, as abandonment. It's called, it's a, it's called canceling culture. It's the version of it that we have today is called cancel culture. It's the modern way in which people are ostracized. Somebody, usually a public figure, it's on social media, says something or does something or something's revealed, and it doesn't even have to be true. It doesn't even have to be you know any evidence given that it's accurate. But as soon as something is said, X marks that person, they're completely canceled out. Cancel that person. I'm here to tell you, you know, I don't know how that got into the Christian church. The idea that it is okay to cancel people. Jesus did not come to cancel us, but to be crucified for us. Jesus does not cancel, but in a manner of speaking, He uncancels us. I mean, think of Jesus' interaction with the canceled people in the gospel. He is with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 who is messed up in all of her relationships, and that's why she's going in the middle of of the day, but she has been canceled by that village in Sychar, and she has to come to the well by herself. There's that woman in Luke chapter 7 that in her town, she was known known as the sinner in that community. Canceled. And yet, and there's this backstory where Jesus and her have some kind of an interaction that's so beautifully significant and profound that she's willing to walk into a house of Pharisees to anoint him with oil. A couple of chapters later, in Luke chapter 19, you've got Zacchaeus, that little, short, sawed-off, social misfit, traitor to the country, chief tax collector of Jericho, canceled... And yet Jesus says, I'm going to eat with you today. I think it was Carl Bard. I may be wrong on this. I think it was Carl Bard who said that theology is in the prepositions. God is with us. God's with us. Emmanuel Jesus came to show what it means when God is with us. When he was with us on planet earth, there was healing and health being restored. There there was peace and joy and justice and forgiveness and friendship and compassion. And there was righteousness. And then he was crucified, buried, and resurrected so that the with us part of his name would be forever and ever true a reality. The history of God in the Bible, is in, in, in the history of the world, is a history of His sticking with us. Sticking with us through thick and thin, through the good and the bad, the mountains and the valleys. And the reason for it is this. Number three, you are unceasingly loved. Why do friends sit with you in your painful moments? Why do friends not abandon you even in your worst moments in life? Love. Love. God does not love us because we are so great or so cute or because we're a great deal for God. God loves because He made us. And he sees what we can become when the human beast stops being the human beast and starts being a human being. A human being made in the image and likeness of God. And we are transformed because God is with us, loving us, never abandoning us, with us even in the worst of our moments each and every day. So I go back to Ebenezer Scrooge's question. If it were possible for so many mortals to look at the calendar and transform from wolf to lamb, then why not every day? Why not turn it around? I think God would say, yes. Yes. What Christmas started becomes something present in the world each and every day, displacing the disdain and neglect you typically show each other in the world. I appreciate the, the, the reading that Lloyd did a few minutes ago from Philippians chapter 2. Uh, the passage that was read at the beginning of our study is Paul's description of the, of the incarnation, that is, the birth of Jesus. That that Jesus in, in heaven in love for God so loved the world that he gives his son. That that Jesus gave up the glory of heaven, he empties himself of that. Literally says he ungrasps the glory that was his in order to become a man like us. And not just a man like us, but a servant, and not just a servant who is obedient but one who is obedient to death, and not just obedient to death, but death on a cross. So what started as love at the incarnation of Christ and culminates in love at the crucifixion of Jesus continues daily in actions of love in the body of Christ, which is the church. And right before that description of what the incarnation of Jesus really is, that becoming man after emptying himself and all that, he says, in your relationship with one another, as you relate to one another, in your relationships with each other, as a church, as people of God, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So I end with a a question. How are we different because of Emmanuel's impact on our life? I mean, we believe in the incarnation. We believe in, in the virgin birth. We believe that Jesus was both God and man. The incarnation, the greatest of biblical mysteries. But we believe it to be true. Does it have an impact that God would do this? I've given you three. There's so many more. Does it have an impact on our lives? Think about it this way. There's a pond. We've all been around a tank or a pond out on a ranch or a farm, and we've thrown a rock, little rock, Little ripples, but it goes all the way to the edges. A big rock, bigger ripples that go all the way to the edge. The, the rock makes an impact that affects everything. It ripples through everything. When Jesus came, think about the ripple effect, the impact of the incarnation had. When he becomes of age at 30 and begins his ministry, every time he taught, the words that came out of his mouth, rippled, and his fame began to spread throughout the region. The things that he did in healing people and bringing sight to the blind and and hearing to the deaf, and, and for those that couldn't speak, he gave them back words. And those that could not walk and were lame or crippled, he gave them back the wholesomeness of their body. And his fame spread because of what he said and what he did. And we find over and over in the Gospels that people are traveling from far away just to hear Him, just to be near Him. Our church sits beside a a big, fast-moving road in our city, and I sometimes wonder, the people who pass our sign, what do they think about us? I think some people don't know what to think, Or they don't think about us, they just pass right by because we've not made a big enough impact for the ripples to have made it to their life yet. Others may think that we are against them. There is, unfortunately, a way of thinking about the church in culture, that is, the church corrects first and loves second. I suggest that one of the impacts that we make on this community is when we decide that we are going to be Christmas everyday people. That we remember not only the cross, the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus, but we look, we remember, we look to a manger at the incarnation where God came to be with us. And the implications of that the impact that it makes will ripple through this community. That this is a place where people understand suffering, that understand it when you're not at your best, when things are not on a mountaintop experience for you, and they're willing to enter into that kind of suffering with you. That this is a place that's not against me, but it's for me, and it's for my family, and that it's for this city. That they're not perfect, but they're loving And they'll love you like you've never been loved before. And that's how Christmas Day becomes every day. May our lives in 2021 make ripples in the sea of humanity all around us. Let's stand and sing.